Hello, I'm Dave, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host Ash. Please be advised that the On the Pitch podcast does contain profanity. If you're offended by profanity, then you should probably find some other podcast to listen to. However, if the profanity does not bother you, please practice proper parental discretion. Three. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the On the Pitch podcast with Dave and Ash, the best football podcast you will ever hear in your entire lifetime. What's up, Ash? I'm good, Dave. Uh, yeah, just a bit tired, but uh, ready to crack on and start with the Premier League this weekend. And that is a great idea. So, where should, where would we like to start as far as the Premier League? Because there was plenty of matches on the menu i think we should start with one of the surprise results of the weekend which was newcastle beating everton 2-0 at goodison park that was a massive surprise actually given the quality between each side newcastle being well newcastle and everton having lots of class in that side a very peculiar result but a good one nonetheless for newcastle I just think when you come to Everton, you think of their attack and you think, okay, their attack's more or less one. It's up there in the top 10 for sure in the league, but it's their midfield and defence that don't convince me at all. And results, like, and results like this just go to prove that because if you don't win games if you can't defend and, you know, when you can't defend, you have to score three or four to win a game. And, you know... They didn't score in this game, but they were sloppy at the back, and they've lost 2-0. Is, do, you, do you think that Everton has developed a slight... How do I want to word this? Could there be a dependency of sorts on the attack to produce these goals that would enable them to win? Is there too much of a dependency on the attack as a whole, and that's what's causing them this grief? I wouldn't say that because the whole job of the attack is to score goals. So, you know, that's what they're fought for. So you'd expect them to score goals, especially, you know, players like Hammond Rodriguez, Calvert-Lewin, mm-hmm. Richarlison. You know, you'd expect those three, maybe even Alex Awobi, because he cost them £40 million. So you'd expect maybe those players to step up and do their job. And I've also just got um, Joshua King in from loan from Bournemouth. So another striker now. But I wouldn't say it's, too much pressure on them because when you're a striker or an attacker, you're supposed to score and create goals. There's literally, that's as simple as it is, but I suppose that if you don't score goals, which, you know, everything, it can go for a game where you don't take your chances, you're unlucky, but then you need your defenders to play well. And I look at the Everton defence and the goalkeeper and I just don't see anybody there that really stands out to me as world-class. No, I concur. I don't, there's nobody in that back four that jumps out at me as world-class or top draw. Not nobody. And you think of Jordan Pickford in goal, who I just... Jesus Christ. I don't rate him. I I know he's Gareth Southgate's first choice for England, which I think could be, will be our undoing in the next major tournament. But then again, when you think Dean Henderson isn't actually playing football for Man United, so it's hard to, to put him in the team. So I think you think about Nick Pope, 
who's probably the most informing on goalkeeper right now. But will he get the nod for a major tournament? That that mm, I guess that's yet to be seen. No, that is also intriguing because the Euros are this summer, right? Yeah. Well, that's going to be quite an interesting thing for England supporters to figure out who Southgate is going to go with going forward. But Everton's lack of defense is just costing them. Now, is it is it a matter of the players or is it a matter of, you think, the way Ancelotti sets them up? Is it a combination of both? I think it's honestly the players he has back there. I mean, they're not good. They're not great defenders. I mean, Seamus Coleman might be the only... I mean, Seamus Coleman and Luca Digne are probably... Luca Digne is a good player, but he's more attack-minded for a left-back than he is mm-hmm. defensive. And, you know, he's, it's okay when he's whipping in free kicks and crosses, but it's the defensive side of this game that I do question. It's the same as Seamus Coleman as well. And then who are the centre-backs? Jerry Mina and Mason Holgate, I want to say, Michael Keane. I'm not convinced by either of them. Hmm. Digne almost should be like a wing-back, honestly. Like an attacking wing-back. But then you'd have to play a back five to compensate for that. That's just, in my mind, that's the type of player he is. He's more of an attacking wing-back. Yeah, I'm surprised Barcelona didn't actually keep him because he could have been the successor to Jordi Alba. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But But Barcelona opted for Junior Firpo, so... I guess we should give Newcastle, you know, due credit. I mean, they did win the match 2-0. Yeah, away, away win, clean sheet, two goals for a, one of their strikers, Wilson. He's actually got 10 goals this season, so he's doing okay for himself. He, he is Newcastle, I don't know. Newcastle makes me scratch my head, and I know that uh, my wife's cat is also, by the way, a diehard tune. But I guess he, too, will probably scratch his little head because Newcastle, they can look great at times, and then other times they can just look completely completely abysmal and it's 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 crazy you get performances you get some performances where players they're they're informed they're scoring goals and then other other performances where you're like did they even feel the fucking side to play football today uh moving on to another game which we'll just breeze over um crystal palace managed to beat walls one nil a breach as with the goal who i think had a good season at crystal palace uh as he's Doing well for himself. You know, he's scoring goals, creating. Looks like an exciting player. And I just, you know, wonder that if he carries on this way, will a bigger club come and have a look at him? You know they will. I know know they've only just gotten from QPR, but in in this business, if a big team wants a player, they'll get them. Yeah, that's generally how it works in the Premier League. Or just in football in general, actually. Uh, yeah, moving on to Manchester City, who are on a hot run of form at the moment. They edge past Sheffield United 1 0, which, you know, a win's a win, but I expected them to score a couple more. I have some thoughts with that. <laughs> Pep being Pep, all of his sides usually, they are so potent in attack and clinical. And it's almost like you see a shift. I don't want to say a shift in philosophy. Perhaps he's titivated his philosophy to where he understands defense and playing actual defense will win you matches. This is crazy to think that Manchester City a couple times this season have had results similar to this one where they're winning 1-0, but they're getting that gold and they're able to defend and hold on to the lead. 
and not necessarily have to score a whole bunch of fucking goals to blow other sides out. It's it's interesting. It almost makes me think perhaps something in Pep's brain, a switch or something in Pep's brain's gone off, and he's like, oh wait, maybe it's not so bad if you you play defense. So what if you score one goal? The whole thing is you still win the match, you pick up the three points, and you keep your form going. Well, they've um, conceded 13 goals this season in the Premier League, and five of those were against Leicester. So yeah. maybe after that game, he might have just had to have a, have a think about, you know, we can't win the league if we can't defend. Because, you know, we saw Liverpool when they first run the clock. They scored a lot of goals, but they conceded so many, which yep. inevitably was the reason they weren't winning titles. And then they bring in Van Dijk, Allison. You know, Klopp gets his back four he wants, and they win a title. It's no coincidence. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it, it just for me being a fan of, of Pep, watching him put this together finally, and I'm like, okay, this is good because if you're going to win titles, you're you're going to encounter opponents, you're going to be in matches where it's going to be a dogfight, and that one goal may be the difference. Do you think they could win the Champions League the way they're playing at the moment? Do you want me to answer this objectively? Only to answer it honestly. Honestly? No, I don't I don't think they can. I want them to, but I don't think so. I could actually tell you who I think is gonna my bet for the Champions League at the moment would be Atletico Madrid, but we'll get on to that another time. Oh, Atletico de Madrid. That's fair. Yeah. At the bottom of the table, West Brom and Fulham drew drew two two, which I don't think did either of them any favours. They both needed Three points from that game. No, I'm. It's safe to say I'm pretty sure Fulham are going to go down. I think I picked them to go down too. When we did our uh, preview of the Premier League. I can't remember that because it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Both, um, both sides in egregious form. The thing with Fulham, though, I think Scott Park is a good manager, and mm-hmm. he's got the players to do it. But it's just, I think it's a lack of Premier League experience and. Maybe a little bit of naivety of not knowing what to do when they. Yeah. I mean, because they've had some good results this season. Obviously, they've beaten Leicester. Uh, who did they draw with? I can't remember who they drew with before they played Chelsea. Uh, might have been Arsenal. It might, it might have been Tottenham. I can't remember. I don't, I don't remember either. But they went on a run of five straight draws before they lost to Chelsea. But I think if any of the teams that. I mean, the teams that are down there now, I think West Brom will be gone. Sheffield United possibly gone. Uh, I'm glad you said West Brom because there's that interesting little statistic that Mr. Big Sam has never been relegated. He's always been able to get his teams out of the relegation zone. But I wonder if this time it's not going to happen because it doesn't look good for my pie-eating friend, Sam Allardyce. West Brom don't have the squad to get help. I mean, they've got a couple of good players, but there's nowhere near enough to pick up enough points, especially when teams around them like Brighton have beaten Spurs. Um, you know, Fulham pick up point, Fulham picking up a couple of points here and there. So, I think West Brom will be the ones that go down, and I think they'll finish bottom of the table. I could see that. Um, on to the dull nil-nil draw at uh, the Emirates. Uh, Mate, the Emirates are... Yeah, it is the Emirates, isn't it, where Arsenal play? Yep. Yeah, the Junior nil of Manchester United. Uh, we'll come on to last night's events a little bit later on, but um, Man United struggled against sides in the top half of the league. I don't think they've scored from open play against any of them this season. No, 
I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say this. It's amazing when Bruno's not diving around how they don't score. Take that for what it is, United fans. You wanna argue? I'll give you the links at the end of the show. Southampton fell to defeat against Aston Villa with a Ross Barkley goal. Uh, Chelsea versus Burnley, Thomas Tuchel's first win. I missed this match. I wasn't able to see it. But Unfortunately, I'm glad I also that missed the, it. I'm glad that the old man got himself a goal in the 40th minute. I think the system he has, it's kind of like Sheffield United, where he had the wing back and then as people overlap as a centre-back to get forward when we have the possession of the ball. Because we see the overlapping centre-backs of Sheffield United, and I think Chelsea were doing a similar thing, because why is a centre-back on the edge of the, six, on the, edge of the opposing side's six-yard box burying home a beautiful finish? You don't see it all too often. No, it's he did what he could. I mean, Chelsea's still a work in progress. I, I've said what I've had to say about Thomas Tuchel, but I will concede the man is a, the man is tactically astute. I'll give him that. Um, time will tell to see where this goes because we'll see. Because he hasn't had enough time or pro, just the proper time, I would say, to be on the training ground and get these ideas. So this season for him is kind of going to be like Frank, where it's going to be kind of on the fly because he's learning new players. He's trying to inculcate his style and his tactics. So we'll see. I'm not going to sit here and get too high or low on whatever our beloved Blues do. I'm just going to try to sit back and and let's see what what happens. What I will say about Thomas Drucker, though, he he does have the experience. He does. Frank Lampard sadly didn't have. So I think that the experience that he has, you know, he's been at top clubs before. So he knows how he knows how to win, and his training methods, although different, I think they are very. I think they're clever, like with the training with the smaller balls, work on tackles, making the players hold tennis balls when they're defending so they can't pull on shirts. I like that side of things because it's intelligent thinking. It's just reducing the chances of a foul. And when he spoke in his interview about why Alonso played, he knew Burnley like the long ball with their big and physical. He said that's why he put Alonso in. Because he's tall, he's, he can counter their threat in the air. Um, and this is no disrespect to Frank Lampard, because obviously we know that he had a problem with Alonso, and mm-hmm. Frank Lampard was still manager, Alonso wouldn't be playing. But I suppose having that experience, it's about using the squad and knowing people's strengths and weaknesses. There is a bit of naivety, too, with Frank. And I'll say this, because obviously I'm in that profession, too. And here's what I've learned in my, in my time doing this. 10 years, by the way. Even if you have a fallout with a player, at some point, you kind of got to do the adult thing and figure out how to resolve the issue. Because if you're able to resolve the issue, that reduces the chance of a fallout. I'm not saying everybody's going to be happy and you're going to be able to appease everyone, but what I am saying is that if you can work towards a resolution with whatever conflict, that only puts one more player in your pocket that gives you one more choice as far as selection and helps you with tactics and saves a whole lot of drama that's unnecessary. You put you put it behind you and you move on. I think that was also part of that naive naivety that Frank has. Do players get frozen out when managers get fucking pissed off? Yes. Is it always the right thing? Not always. It, it all depends on the situation. But me personally, when I've done shit like that, it tends to work a little bit better. But that's just me, my take on it. I think the thing with Alonso is that he doesn't work in a back four because defensively, he's poor. 
and you can't play him as a left back. And when Chelsea are playing as a playing a back four under Frank, it was always going to be Chilwell or Emerson, mainly for the fact that Alonso's poor defensively. But you know, you shift him forward a little bit, put him into a wing back position, it's like a completely yep. different player. Exactly. And it, what I never understood too was there were times when we played when he was our manager at three, we played three in, at the back. That that system for Alonso would work. I think that was mostly last season, though, wasn't it? With we changed yeah. Frank Lampard last season was so pragmatic, and this season he seemed intent on sticking with the four three three, which yep. had stopped working, you know, a long time ago. And you think that you know he didn't change it up, which I always wondered why. Because last season he was quick to make changes. Like I remember the Arsenal game where we were losing one 0 I think he took Emerson or Jorginho off, but Tarek Lamptey on, and it changed the game. It's but, it's a balance as a manager between you have to find that balance of being pragmatic, but yet for better lack of better words, eccentric to where and this goes to to your point with Tuchel because I will say this Tuchel, I was doing a lot of research on him over the last week, and one of the things that he that he loves to instill in his players is he creates problems for them, so he's not too pragmatic in his system per se. But he's very reality-based in the sense where he will create all types of problems and predicaments on the training pitch and let the players solve it themselves. Because at the end of the day, it's the players playing the game. The manager's just there to guide them. So I thought that that's interesting. Maybe Frank didn't have that. Maybe it could have been too much tinkering at one point, not enough tinkering. Who knows? At this point, that's all water under the bridge because he's no longer our manager, sadly. And we need to get behind the new one and... Yeah, but that's just my little two cents. I will say that since since we've been at Tuchel, we played two matches and only conceded two shot and only conceded. Um, sorry, not haven't conceded a shot on target since you know he's come in, which isn't to go two games without conceding a shot on target. It's, it's incredible. It is. So obviously, and something give... has been done in the defence straight away. It's like he came in and worked on that straight away because we know we've got a talented attack. It will just take time for the new ones to click. Yeah, and Burnley, 2-0 win over Burnley is not a bad thing. Burnley aren't some shit side. Burnley are a south well, no, side they, with a good manager. They beat Liverpool Anfield, didn't they? They sure ago. the fuck did, and it was beautiful. Moving on to Dave's favorite, second favorite team, Leeds. They Fox. beat Leicester 3-1. Away from home. That was a good result for them. I have nothing to say. <laughs> uh, basically, Patrick Bamford scored and assisted two. Um, the goals, Leeds played their usual style, you know, fast attacking, hit on the counter-attack, leave defending behind. But Leicester were poor in this game, and maybe if they carry on losing these sort of games, and the same thing that happened this season that happened last, they'll drop out of the Champions League places quickly and end themselves up in Europa League again. Well, I mean, if, if let's say, hypothetically, they actually win Europa League, falling out of the top four wouldn't be a big deal because the winner of the Europa League automatically qualifies for the group stages proper in the Champions League. So there's that possibility. That is, but I can't see them winning Europa League with the squad they've got. Interesting. I just think the other teams, I mean, I think Manchester, I think Manchester United will win the Europa League. And I think the only team that might be a problem for them is Inter Milan. I, that's actually who I have winning the Europa League is Inter. Be an interesting, uh, to, to be an interesting to see how that goes because we know Inter have a record of not turning up in Europe. 
that well, I mean, it's Antonio Conte too is part of that issue because he too has that problem of not showing up in Europe. But I think he can do it this time. Uh, on to the West Ham game. Um, I actually watched this game where they lost three one to Liverpool, and what I will say is Mohamed Salah was absolutely brilliant with his two goals. The first one was a brilliant cold finish, and the second one. It was a brilliant counter-attack from Liverpool. And the touch, his first touch on his right foot and then the dink over the keeper on his left, it was a brilliant goal. And they seem to have got themselves firing again, which may, maybe just give Man City a bit of a warning. Just as I say, not get complacent, but they're playing each other at the weekend, so that should be a blockbuster fixture, which I imagine will probably finish nil-nil. <laughs> I always swear that's how it's destined to work sometimes because both sides get very conservative and... It, it kills the footballing joy. And to finish off the uh, games over the, over the weekend, uh, Brighton beat Tottenham 1-0, which is what we all love to see, especially since we have Tottenham up next. No Harry Kane. Gareth Bale's not quite firing. The whole situation with Deli Alley. Probably a good time to play Tottenham, actually, considering everything. Poor Jose. <laughs> uh, well... That's the thing. You need to use your squad when you rely on one player. When you only rely on one player too much, and he's injured. It's not just that, though. As much as I love Jose, the style of football that he loves to play, it's it's in it's obsolete with that squad. Like he shouldn't even be trying to do all that. Like I know they have speed to hit on the counter, and that's the way he likes to play his football. But he needs to just he needs to just catch up with the way modern football is being played because he's. He was looking good for a while, then he reverted back to the way he likes to do things, and it has not fared well for him. Do you think he knows how to play a modern style of football? Do you think it's in his DNA to play attacking open football? No. I love him to death, but no. He's stuck in his ways. And in this profession, if you cannot adapt, you're going to learn real quick that you're not going to be in a job very long, especially at the professional level. Moving on to yesterday's games, which we'll focus on two. We'll focus on Wolves-Arsenal and Man United-Southampton. We'll start with Wolves-Arsenal, which involved two red cards for Arsenal. Unfortunately, I think the David Lewis red card was wrong. <clears throat> he didn't, you know, he, he, he wasn't that he didn't attempt to get the ball. He did. And, you know, he's been sent off, for the, which is which confused me because of a double jeopardy rule, which normally means if you get a penalty and you attempted to get the ball, then it's only a yellow card. So, you know, they need to make that clearer. And then, but Burnt Leno came out of his box to punch the ball clear, and that was a straight red card, so. You had told me that you thought both were soft. Uh, the first one, definitely. And then looking at the second one again, Leno's lost his mind. I I looked at both of them briefly. Leno, that yeah, that's a that's a that's a fucking red card all day. Like, <laughs> sorry, guy. Like, you, you have to have a little bit more sense, Louise. That this, this is the problem with refing. I'm put my refing hat on. This is the problem with refereeing. Let's be clear. For those of you that don't know, the laws are written by IFAB, which is an organization based in England that writes the laws of the game. Now these people do a really abhorrent job at doing that shit because none of it's clear so it is of course subject to human error because there is human interpretation involved 
Now, I personally think Mike Dean is shit as a referee. However, Mike Dean was referee in the Man United game. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, whoever the referee was in that game, I have no idea why Mike Dean came into my head. Whoever was the uh, referee in that game, that is a tough, that's a tough decision to make. And nine times out of ten, we're even told as referees, it's it's based how you see things from whatever angle that you happen to be observing at, which ultimately determines your call, if that makes any sense. So from one angle, in real time, it can look like a foul and a yellow card or a red card or whatever. You whatever the referee at that time thinks. So I mean, do I think I personally think it was soft? Yeah, but but you said I'm not the guy. I'm time. not the guy officiating the match. So you speak about the angles and the real time. Isn't that what VAR's brought in for to see every angle so they can actually make a definitive uh, observation? Well, but then again, the system isn't the problem. It's the officials operating it because they're all mm-hmm. clueless. And we've said this plenty of times that the officiating in England is way below par than any other European league. Now, that's the crazy shit, though, because IFAB, the International Football Association Board, is located in fucking England. Imagine that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) But yeah, Wolves win 2-1, ending their winless run. And, And, you know... On another day, it could have gone another way, but Wolves will take the three points. Of course they will. But now we move on to something I don't think anybody saw coming. Uh, Manchester United's 9-0 demolition of Southampton. This is like the second time Southampton have suffered a defeat in such a manner. The exact scoreline, even. Well, they... they they were screwed from the start. The minute uh, Jankovic got sent off after 79 seconds, it was going to be uphill for, the, for them then. And of course, they race into an early four-goal lead in the first half, and at that point, it's over. Anthony Martial comes off the bench, scores twice. You know, Scott McTominay, Fernandez, Dan James, they've all scored, but Southampton gave up. They defended so poorly. And obviously, Bednarik got sent off, which was... It, well, that one wasn't a red card. There's no way he barely touched Martial, tried to pull out of a challenge, so she's not have been sent off. But, you know, we just say refereeing in this country is not great. And of course, upsets Fernandez to put the penalty away. Who else? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, is there much to say about the match? I mean, like you said, Southampton just gave up and were basically shit for the rest of they it. Fell up, they fell apart after they went down to 10 men. They didn't have an answer. They did. Probably just shell shock. Obviously, Bednarek sent off as well late in the second half, and you know they scored two goals after that. But yeah, the goals they were conceding, it was like it's like the Southampton defense were just standing still at times and just letting Man United play through them. I mean, I've that's got to be deflating, though. Being I've not seen a game quite like it for a while. I mean, you don't want to lose nine nil, but they've done it. They've lost nine nil twice in back to back seasons now. Mm-hmm. The only difference was uh, last season was at home to Leicester, if I remember right. It was indeed, yes. Fucking hell. I mean, was it just one of those days? Did everything go wrong? Yeah, I mean, they were poor. I remember that Che Adams had a chance to pull one back at 6-0. It wouldn't have made a difference to anybody, but 
he got into the position, had the had the whole goal in front of him, and he's hit it in. He's hit it into the stands. And I was thinking at that point, you know, you can't be missing that. It doesn't matter what the score is, you cannot be missing that chance. Because if they get if they score that goal, they might instill a bit of confidence in themselves and not go and concede the other three they, that they did. Mm. But yeah, they, the defense was just standing like statues. And Man United, it was so easy for them. It was so easy. They say Manchester United that at the moment is second in the table on goal differential. The city sits atop the Premier League table at time of recording. They also have two games in hand on Man United. Oh, uh, the game in hand. The thing is, they win those two games in hand, they'd be on 50 points and six clear of Man United. So, do you think City will win the Premier League? Yep. I just think with their new defensive prowess, where they're not conceding goals, and, you know, they're finding ways to score goals, true market champions, doesn't matter how you win a game, as long as you, as long as you win them. Mm-hmm. That's basically my, my logic with that. Pep's figured something out, and there's nothing more dangerous than Pep figuring something out. <laughs> That's I think City's got it this time. Thank fuck, because if I have to watch Liverpool raise another trophy, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Looking towards the bottom of the league, Fulham are seven points off safety. But they do have a gaming hand, which if they win, they'll be four off safety. But seven points when you're at the bottom of the league is a lot to find. It's a mountain at this point in the season, too. I just think that the three teams that are in there now will probably be the three that go down. Um... But I think Brighton have enough quality to stay up. That yeah, I normally I'd sit here and debate that. But I'm looking at Brighton's point total, and then I'm looking at the three bottom, and I'm like, yeah, no, you might be right. I think all three that are down there now are probably going to be heading back to the second division in the championship. And what you've got to think is, are the teams down there below Brighton good enough to beat Brighton? Well, that that's the crazy thing, isn't it? Because when you get into the to the end of the season, and you get to that point of the season where the running tends to occur, that's where we find out. Because you never know, especially at the bottom, something somebody can go on a run, or one team can beat another team. The next thing you know, things have changed in the blink of an eye. Exactly. Um... Moving across to Germany now, uh, the games over there this week. Um, Brunchen mentioned Gladbach drew 1 1 with Union Berlin. Dortmund back to winning ways, beat Augsburg 3 1. Mm-hmm. Goals from Delaney Sancho and an own goal from Udakai. By Munich, to nobody's surprise, win convincingly against Hoffenheim. Yeah. Uh, four different goal scorers in that match as well. Would you imagine that Lewandowski fellow scoring goals? I mean, that Thomas Muller guy isn't too bad either. Any everyone in the buying team can score goals. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, Kimmich, Nabry, Sane when they play him, Komen. I mean, they're so good for fuck's sake. Put Hansi Flick on the pitch. I'm pretty sure he scores a fucking banger. Because they've got so much confidence. They're German champions. They're German Cup champions. I know they went out the German Cup a few weeks ago to a lower league side, but so they can't do the treble this year. European champions. But yeah, I can't. I don't think they win the Champions League this year though. You don't? No. That's an interesting thought. I think that 
a little bit of complacency slipped it uh, slipped into their defensive. Like I think they can be beaten if you, you know, if you if their team plays a hundred percent against them, they can be beaten because the Gladbach they've lost a few games already this season, which you know it's normal you lose games, but they're not quite the side they were last season. No, I could agree. I think maybe a little bit of complacency comes in. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as them not retaining the Champions League title, but I can definitely see complacency as setting. Werder Bremen and Schalke drew a 1-1 draw, which leaves Schalke bottom of the table with just one win all season. Mm. And Leipzig were able to beat Leverkusen 1-0 thanks to a Christopher and Kunku goal. The Bundesliga. Still some of the best football in Europe. I mean, you look at the table, Bayern are seven points clear at the top. They've lost two out of nine. They've lost two in 19. They scored 57 goals in that time. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's more than that's averaging more than three goals a game, or it might be exactly three. Yeah, uh-huh. they average three goals a game. Things can still happen in the Bundesliga because, like you said, they are looking susceptible, somewhat erroneous in defense, complacency. So I don't think I'm too quick to crown them yet. No, but I mean, Leipzig and Gladbach are in seventh and second, um, are separated by six points, which is. Brilliant to see for a footballing standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then Union Berlin and Ava are three points off Gladbach. So a couple of wins can change everything. Sure can. But I will say I'm shocked to see Wolfsburg and Frankfurt in the top four at the moment, halfway through a season. Me too. And actually, if probably if I had to pick a German side, I actually am sort of kind of fond of Frankfurt. But well, They um... just re-signed Luka Jovic on loan as well, haven't they, from Real Madrid? Yeah, he should have never made that move to Real Madrid to begin with, but that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, fifty million pound down the drain, but that yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. But he's back, and he, all he's going to do now is just basically give them a lot of help in the attack. And yeah, I think Frankfurt's going to finish in the top four somewhere. It's a long season, though. Still, quite a few games to play, and I just like I said. Obviously, Dortmund are only a point behind them, same as Leverkusen and Gladbach. So it's very tight up there. The race for European football, well, especially the Champions League, could be could be a good run-in. But I think it's safe to say that Bayern will probably win the Bundesliga for a God knows how many times in a row it is now. Eight, is it? eight it would be, wouldn't it? I think it's going to be something like eight. But yeah, I mean, you look at their side, nobody matches them anywhere in the Bundesliga, no. so... Not nobody. Okay. Moving into the Serie A this week. AC Milan keep up their fine form. Stay top of the league by beating Bologna. Goals from Rebic and Kessie to seal their win. Uh, An away win for Juventus. Chiesa and Ramsey with the goals in a 2-0 victory against Sampdoria. Inter Milan. Thrash Benevento. Lautaro Martinez. Lukaku at the double. And then their own goal. Roma, who I think have been a surprise package this season, win for them. Three goals inside nine minutes in the first half. Wow. Yeah, it's 20, 22 and 29, which when you can see that many goals that quickly, you're out of the game. Um, Napoli, who are also looking to get European football this season, 2-0 winning against Parma. And Atalanta and Lazio, which you see those two names, you just think goals, don't you? Yeah. And this game did not disappoint. It was four goals, split 3-1. Lazio with the victory. 
the Italian league, do you think it's better this season because of how competitive it's become? Or do you just think that Juventus maybe not having it as an experienced manager has cost them a little bit? Probably a combination of both. I mean, Juventus are still fourth. They've got to play their game in hand against Napoli, which originally they were given the points for. Mm-hmm. But after Napoli won an appeal, they've got to play the game again. If Juventus are to win that game, they'll jump up to third, be on 42 points. But... I don't know, Juventus don't look as dangerous as they once did. But I'll say this, they've got Ronaldo on form. And sometimes that's all you need. He scored 22 goals in 23 matches this season. I love that, man. Yeah, he's been on brilliant form. He scored twice last night, actually, in the uh, Coffre Italia. He is, he's been phenomenal for them. I'd, I'd like to see that Serie A is competitive again. I think it's competitive because the teams have gotten better, but I also think part of that too is Juventus having the inexperience with Pirlo at the helm. But I would be it would be nice to see, and this is just me talking, to see one of the Milan teams. And when I say one of the Milans, what I really mean is Inter winning the title. See, I'm the other way. I'd rather see AC Milan win it. Oh, not and I know, I know, I know one of my favorite footballers played for Milan, but I'm a huge fan of Antonio Conte, and I, I want to see him. I want to see him lift the trophy. That's pretty much how I feel. It would just be good at this point for anybody but Juventus to raise the fucking the trophy at the end of the season. For me, I just... For the AC Milan players, there's quite a few I like more. Like, you know, Ibrahimovic, Kessier, Theo Hernandez, Donnarumma. I want to see those players win the title because they're players I like watching. And... You know, I'd love to see Zlatan get his hands on the uh, Serie A again. Actually, I'm not sure if he's won it before. I'm sure he maybe has in his earlier career. I think he might have earlier in his career. We'll have to look but, that one up. But I'm sure that they can, I mean, they've won 14 out of 20, so I'm sure if they can just keep up their fine form, maybe beat their rivals or, you know, stop them taking points off them then it'll be an interesting end to the season. But it's definitely nice to see Roma in the fight, Inter Milan in the Inter, AC, <laughs> Juventus, Napoli and Lazio, even Atlanta, they're all in the fight. That's 10 points separate the top seven. So It's, it's good to a... have a competitive league in Italy again. And we'll go to another league that right now yeah. the team is running away with, which La is Liga. La Liga. Um, we'll, stop. we'll focus on the top four because there's not really much else going on in La Liga these days. Um, so Sevilla 2 0 away when I bar. The shock and the funniest result of the week was Real Madrid losing at the Bernabeu to Levante. <laughs> oh. Real Madrid. Está hecho Real Mierda. That's translation. Real Madrid has become just real shit over the course of this season. They have not been good. And it's quite humorous, actually. To watch them sit and be this bad. Because they they lack so much stuff. They're devoid of ideas. Zidane looks like he hasn't got a clue after coming back. And honestly, why he even returned in the first place baffles me. You win three straight Champions League titles. And then you decide to walk away. I would have just walked away on top and stayed the fuck away. I, I can't make any sense of that whole thing, but 
Madrid, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for Real Madrid at this point. I just don't understand, like, I mean, you have to think of, like, the money they spent on Hazard kind of stopped them signing anyone else. I mean, he hasn't produced this season either. No. He hasn't produced. He hasn't produced since he's been at Real Madrid. Do you think he's produced or injury reports? <laughs> that is the truth. The sad truth. And I just, I mean, Alex said to me the other day, he said, you know, if Hazard had stayed at Chelsea under Frank Lampard, would he have had his best Premier League season? And... I was doubtful about it. I think he would have got similar numbers to what he got in Sarri's season, but I don't think it would have been his best ever season because Hazard was phenomenal in his last season for Chelsea. There's no denying that. I mean, he created the most goals. He had the most goal involvements in the Premier League, which Mm -hmm. was 31. But since joining Real Madrid, he has been a shadow of a shadow of the player he once was. He has been. It's... It's sad to see that was the that was the club that he dreamed of playing for, and it's finally reality. And he's just he's just not been able to get going for whatever reason. And I mean, some of that is his own damn fault because he has admitted in the off season, you know, he eats a little bit more. He doesn't pay too much attention to fitness and all that stuff. And I mean, when you do that, and you're getting older because he's damn near thirty. You know, that's that's not going to work well for you. Do you think he's going to turn into another Gareth Bale? Yeah, just not the golf. He hasn't already. <laughs> just without the golf. A shame to see, because especially for that sort of money, but it's in our pocket, so who cares? Uh, honestly, I mean, yeah. Probably I feel bad of... for the guy, because I'm a fan of him, but I'm, at the same time, I mean, being a Chelsea supporter and all, I'm just kind of like, yo, I'll take that money, though. Thank you. Moving to a more successful side in Madrid and probably one of the most informed teams in Europe right now. Atletico Madrid, 4-2 winners against Cadiz. Luis Suarez with two goals. Sal and Coke with the other two. What must Barcelona be thinking now that they let Suarez go for free? They're stupid. I mean, bear in mind, they say that they have to to cut wages because of their financial problem. They could easily have sold Griezmann, Dembele, you know, not bought Pjanic for sixty million pounds. That made no sense. That made that made no sense. I mean, and the, obviously lately, what's going on? Uh, well, actually, we'll talk about Barcelona in a minute when we come to them. But Luis Suarez and Atletico Madrid have been fantastic this season, and they are going to win the title at a canter because they've scored. Win- got, the thing they've got this season, which they didn't have last season, mm-hmm. is the goal scoring. Yeah, they actually got somebody that can put the ball in the back of the net consistently. I mean, sure, he bites people, but I mean, you know, if you're scoring goals, who cares, right? And Jao Felix has actually started to touch. Jao Felix, Thomas Lamar, Yannick Carrasco, they're of all players that seem rejuvenated this season. Well, Joao needs to make things happen because he, too, costed Atletico de Madrid a pretty penny, too. So he's got a contract he's got to play up to. Basically, the Griezmann money, wasn't it? Yeah, um, basically it was the Griezmann money. Yeah, because uh, Joao Felix's release clause was basically what Barcelona played for Griezmann. Mm-hmm. Joao is very talented. He's just, it's got to come out. But he, whatever, whatever's in the Kool-Aid, so to speak, at Atletico, he's drinking it and he's doing fine. I don't yeah, know if that's much- playing with Suarez or Simeone's figured something out, but he's, he looks pretty good. I think Luis Suarez has basically lifted the whole front line with how good he is and his goals. I mean, he's got 14 in 16 games. 
yeah, he's been, as much as I don't like that fellow, he's been brilliant. Uh, moving on to Barcelona, they did manage to beat Bilbao 2-1. Uh, Messi and Griezmann with the goals. Alba scored an own goal, which didn't matter in the end. But Anton Griezmann, I think he's maybe, maybe trying, starting to find his feet at Barcelona. We'll see. I don't think the problem at Barcelona was necessarily Griezmann. I just think may have been the managers, because managers should be setting their players up for success. And the club actually should be. The fact that we can, I mean, we can do this all day where we both, we both concur that Griezmann should never have been in a Barcelona shirt to fucking begin with. <laughs> but no, since he's there. He starts to score regularly, you know, which I think is giving him confidence. Yeah. Which any striker needs. That's what I was going to say. But since he's there, he's scoring goals. Maybe he's finally figured out a way to play with Lionel. And it's working. Yeah, but speaking of Messi and all the news that's surrounding him this week with the contract leaks, I think, you know, 500 and something million a year on his contract. I'm not surprised they're so much in debt. No, I mean, you sent me an article that basically explicated everything that's going on at Barcelona, and it was just a lot of bad financial decisions. I mean, what was it? 150 million for Coutinho, 120 mm-hmm. million for Dembele, 111 for Griezmann. Um, spending money in essence that they didn't have and then furthering their debt by making even more precarious decisions as far as finances go. A sale of Artur for 72 million was genius because he's not worth that. He's he's not a good player. No, I think he's I bang average at best. He doesn't get enough goals or assists and he doesn't impress me. And I thought, you know what, well done. They've, got, they, they've pulled off a blinder there to get that much money for him until they go by Pianic for 60. And then I'm thinking, you've sold a 25-year-old to someone for a 30-year-old when the whole club has an aging problem. Pretty much. They and we know Messi them. is going to be out of there in summer. And I think that it will help them financially because they won't be paying 500 million a year on one player. No. But it's also going to screw them on the pitch. It is. Barcelona, I don't know. That Barcelona, we can do a whole podcast special on the mess that is that football club at the moment. But the thing is, they're unbeaten in 10 La Liga games, so they're getting results despite what's going on off the pitch. Yeah, but even then, they're still 10 points behind Atletico. Could be 13 if Atletico win their gaming hand. So which I, mean, I believe is against Bilbao. At this point, Barcelona, I, I'm pretty confident in saying they're not, much to my brother's dismay, they're not winning the title this year. Oh, no. I feel like I'm just winning the title. Easy. We're already halfway through the season. They've got a 10-point gap. They don't concede goals. They're scoring goals for fun. They've probably got one of the most informed strikers in the world right now, leading their line. But that's good for Simeone because he knows what he's doing. He's a great manager. I love that guy. Um, Obviously, before we get to the links, we are releasing a podcast on Friday since it will be a one-year anniversary of the On The Pitch podcast. So it will be a little bit different, just um, looking back at our time recording podcasts and just uh, just a bit of a laugh about what football means to us and just in general, like how we got into football. But yeah, that's it from me for this week. So I'll leave Dave to follow about with the uh, links on how to find us. Yeah, so uh, mark your calendars, February 5th. This podcast turns a year old. Um, 
So we appreciate every like everybody who legitimately does listen. We appreciate it. Yes, even I do, believe it or not. Um, so, you know, the usual, if you guys have any football curious friends or football crazy friends and they haven't listened to the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you shared this podcast with them. Send them a link, email it to them. I don't give a shit how you get it to them, but just make sure that if somebody's interested that they get the podcast and they can have a listen. Uh, with that being said, you can contact us. We have an email address that if you ever feel the need to vent your frustrations, bitch, moan, complain, whatever it is you want to do, you can do that at onthepitchpod at outlook.com. We also have a Facebook group by the same name, On The Pitch. Uh, with that one, there are three bloody questions that you fucking people need to answer so that you can be a part of the group. We appreciate the group. We want to open it up, and we don't mind getting inundated with requests. But at the same time, do us a favor and answer the questions. There's a reason why we ask these questions and screen people before they join the page. So please do us a favor. If you want to join the group, answer the three fucking questions, and then you can come and have a good time. Uh, We will be, at the moment, we're not on Twitter, but we will be back on Twitter in the next week. Uh, when we do get back on Twitter, you can find us at uh, the handle will be at on the pitch pod one. You can tweet us anything you want. We usually tweet scores, thoughts, and all types of other stuff on the Twitter account. So, yeah, basically, email us, tweet us, join us on Facebook, share the podcast. We will appreciate it. And until then, wherever you are in this, Wonderful world, we wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good night. Till Friday, we hope that you stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks for listening.